0: Says, get that India, big boy! an ambulance! what a shot! What a shot!
1: Good morning. My name is John, AKA Forty Twenty, and we're here at the uh, completion of the Round 19 game for the Parramatta Eels. And joining me, as always, is my good man, my main off Sixties, how you doing, champ?
2: I'm good, mate. Let me just say, as we're recording this on a Saturday morning, look, years gone by, we'd have a match at the stadium, a few of us, yourself, uh, oh, a whole crew of people. We'd end up going back to the club after the game. There'd be some drinks shared. We'd do our little post-match analysis amongst the the fellas there with a, with those... Uh, very very ears. loosely
1: entitled uh, the Brains Trust, very loosely.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes we'd have some people associated with the club and sit down have a bit of a chat with us. We'd get a little bit more of a an insight. So what I'm thinking today is it sort of felt like I needed to do that last night, but under these COVID times, I know the club's open, but it, it's not the same. You can't go in with a big group of people mm-hmm. and sit there and end up with, you know, 15, 20 people sitting there at the around a table and drinking and, and bullshitting onto each other. So let's consider the podcast this morning, the tip sheet, as your opportunity to listen to a couple of blokes yabber on a bit about <laughs> the pudding. So if you're sitting there and it's Saturday afternoon or Saturday night or whenever it is that you're listening to this, hopefully you've got a beer or a beverage of your choice you're sitting back, you're chilling. Maybe you're arguing with us as we're as we're saying something, or or you're agreeing with us, or whatever the case may be. But you're enjoying yourself because there's been an Eels win, and there's a bit of chat that you're going to have about Parramatta this morning, recorded by us. And uh, yeah, enjoy yourself.
1: Too easy. All right, let's get into it. Round 19, the Parramatta Eels improved their record to 14 and five on the season. With a 26-12 win over the Brisbane Broncos, uh, in women uh, women in league round, also uh, member appreciation round, so it's a very loaded round this week. Parramatta's last home game uh, before we head into the finals. So obviously we got one more game against the Tigers next week. So um, twenty
2: nine thousand over twenty nine thousand members, mate, unbelievable. Yeah,
1: yep, it's um, been all things considering. Um, you know, obviously COVID nineteen um, has been in the background of everything this year. It's been a phenomenal campaign on and off the field for the Eels. They've done a lot of great stuff, and hopefully they can do a lot more in the postseason. But let's break down this game, as the Eels um, sweep the Broncos 2-0 on the season. Uh, Blake Ferguson getting his second try in three games. He leads the try-scorers list, first try-scorer. Uh, Mike Sevo, Quentin Guffson for double, and Jay Field in the 49th minute rounds it out for Parramatta, for the do- uh, for the Dogs, for the Broncos. Uh, David Fafita ended up posting up Mitchell Moses for the uh, bro- the Broncos' first try, and Herbie Farnworth scored as well in the 44th minute. Mitchell Moses was 3 from 5 on the goal-kicking tee. And Ketani Staggs, um, he's been kicking for a little off them, actually. He was 2 from 2. Interesting note, I think that Mitchell only missed from the right side of the field. He was close on all his kicks, but um, couldn't quite squeeze him in. So, game stats, excuse me. Uh, First game in a while that Parramatta have dominated possession. Uh, 60% of possession went to Parramatta, so you'd hope they'd score the sort of points that they did. Time of possession, obviously favoring the Eels, 33 minutes and 16 seconds to 22-10 for the Broncos. Eels were a bit more efficient completing the ball. though at 86% with 38 of 44 sets, whereas the Broncos are a little bit underneath 80 at 79%, 31 of 39 sets completed. Uh, the Eels led in runs, run meters, post-contact meters, line breaks, tackle breaks, sort of um, as a function of two to one on the line breaks and tackle breaks, six to three, 28 to 14. Um, post-contact meters and meters are up about, uh, what was that, 600 meters overall in meterage and another... 80 metres in post-contact. So as given the possession, the sort of numbers you'd expect. Um, unsurprisingly, um, the Eels winning ways um, feature a slower play-the-ball speed than average to the other team. 3.69 seconds for the Eels versus the Broncos, 3.37. I still can't figure out what it is, but when the, the play-the-ball speed is slow, it, it's good for the Eels. It doesn't make sense, but that's football. And then aside from that, um, both teams didn't have a great night diffusing the kick. Eels are 50%, Broncos are 56%. Um, defensively, very good performance from the Eels, big re- uh, rebound game, tackle effectiveness rate of 94.4%. Um, they made uh, slightly less tackles than Broncos, but only missed 14 to 28 of the Broncos, and only made six ineffective tackles to Brisbane's 18. And then uh, in terms of negative plays, uh, Broncos made 12 errors to eight. Uh, the Eels conceded six penalties to three, which is a bit surprising. And then ruck infringements favoured, now I've got to make sure I get this right. Yeah, the ruck infringements favoured Brisbane as well. I think the these always get me. So seventh two was it, I think in terms of six against. So yeah, a typical night of the office parameter when it comes to officiating um, negative plays. So, so that, what did just with the uh,
2: sorry is that the um, the final wrap of the sets or is there anything else? To I think that's
1: to the, the, that. On. That was enough of a ramble on about the numbers. There was a a fair bit of um stuff to compute there. So let's get into the actual game itself, eh? Yeah. What
2: did you? Let's go for the overall take, first of all. What did you like about the Eels' performance, right?
1: Yeah, it, it was not the, you know, ignite the fire, you know, we're back and we're, you know, exploding out of the block sort of deal that we were hoping for, but they took care of business and it featured some moments where I think certain players came to life more than they have in, in the last couple of months. So that was really the big takeaway for me is that there were signs of, the, the signs of life that I needed to see. This is and yes, the time is pressing now with only one regulation game left, but there was enough there to suggest that maybe, just maybe, the Eels could make a, a bit of a run in the finals if they can just get that—you know, make that next step next week.
2: For me, mate, my biggest take was about attitude. So I wasn't going to be concerned so much about what the final scoreline was. I was looking at how do we bounce back from a game against the Panthers where there was so much that seemed to go against the Eels. We're not just talking possession, but we're also talking some key decisions or just the overall... Bounce of the ball sort of factor as well, yeah. Nothing went their way. Now, historically, we don't always bounce back from those sorts of games. The one that really comes to mind is when we went down to Melbourne in 2017. I know I'm going back in time, but when we're talking about Parramatta and mindsets and attitude, there's almost a culture there where it doesn't, doesn't matter what year you pull it out from recent years, yeah. it's pertinent. Mm-hmm. And even with some different players, to me, it's still pertinent. So 2017, we go to Melbourne. We should have beaten Melbourne. We were the better team on the day. It was... There was some horrible, horrible calls. Yeah, time. I
1: was going to say dubious. Then I was like, yeah, but dubious doesn't really cover the the magnitude of those no, calls. It was,
2: it was, it was nothing short of diabolical. I, I was down there. I was over the top of where some of these big calls were made, and it was diabolical. And I'm, I'm not going to back away from that. Then the next week, we're playing the Cowboys in the second week of the finals and we basically didn't turn up we might have been leading at half time but on the back of a, uh, a couple
1: of against the sort of flow tries i think semi had a length of the yeah. field try <clears Yeah, clears> off <throat> a kick that he diffused yeah, yeah it was yeah. It definitely we were playing well within ourselves after the the shell shock of the melbourne defeat
2: yeah so we we just didn't bounce back in that in that headspace after a game where we'd put so much Energy into it. Now I saw that Penrith game as one where we expended so much energy, and not just from a physical point of view, Mental but as well. that scramble and scramble yeah. and scramble is a headspace thing. That's
1: right. It, and, yeah, the pure desperation of trying to you know turn yeah. up in waves against a team that has 64% possession, um, you know that that was as fatiguing mentally as it would be physically for the Eels, and they managed yes. to fortunately back it up.
2: So my big question before the game was, what's our headspace like? Are we going to be able to put that game behind us, take the positives of the fight that we showed against the Panthers and produce a win this week? So my take was get a win and show that you've got the right attitude about getting the win. So that's my main That's my main positive to take out of the game.
1: And it's a pretty poignant positive as well, for sure.
2: Yeah. We can look at – we can break down aspects of the game and say we did this well, we did that. Exactly. On a micro level, it's
1: very easy to do that. But on a macro level, you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So is um, is, is there anything that we can dig into then about the positives? That we can take going forward from a from a player, from a play point of view?
1: Well, there is an important thing to start with, I think, in that uh, despite, you know, there's a lot of speculation that he might have made some changes on team was Tuesday, but Brad Arthur stuck with his 1 17. Um, obviously, uh, factoring in Ray Stone has injured his thumb again, which is unfortunate. So the only uh, enforced change there was Will Smith coming into the, or holding his spot in the team rather than coming into the team. But prior to kickoff, we got a little bit of a spicy um, remix for the Eels and we saw some core players get dropped to the bench, whether some of it was as a you know way to influence the game off the bench or some of it might have been a form thing. And in saying that, um, the two players that we saw switch out, Junior Paulo and Sean Lane dropped to the bench with Kane Evans and <clears throat> Andrew Davey promoted to the starting team. What did you make of that, and how did they, how did you think that influenced the game? Because I think that both Junior and Lane in particular, Lane probably had his best game uh, in, in, in like a long while, I'd say, um, maybe back to the Cronulla game, and Junior was awesome off the bench. So how much of that was a game plan thing? How much of that was a form thing, in your opinion?
2: I think it was a game plan thing because it was something that I did see at training, and I think it was a success. Is it a, a short-term option or a long-term That's option? right. That, that's
1: the interesting part of this conversation, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Now, VA was obviously looking at a combination of things. He spoke in the presser about reducing juniors' minutes as a way of resting without really resting the player. Workload management, and, as it were. Yeah, and I suppose he was basically doing the same with the back row, with uh, the long minutes that the back rowers play, in having Andy Davey. Yeah, and, and
1: sort of filter between different spots with, um. Uh, Sean Lane, who played on the middle and the right last night.
2: Yes. Now, Andy Davey, I thought, was a major success in the role that he played in the team. I thought he was very aggressive. The thing with Andy Davey is he has not been phased from the moment he was introduced to the NRL. He's almost in that category where you know what you're going to get from him. Which yeah, is good, uh, exactly. Consistent football. So you're talking about good.
1: sort of that high floor, but maybe not uh, not a high. I mean, that's probably not right to say, but um, maybe not as high as other players. But he's a very high floor in terms of level performance.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're, we're spelling floor F L W O R here rather than F L A W. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a. I like you know, got
1: lots of mistakes in his game. He's got tons of weaknesses. He's a high floor <laughs> player. No, but yes, floor, floor <laughs> is in the thing that goes underneath your feet, and roof is in the thing yes. that goes over your head. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's, he's actually not opposed to showing a few skills. His offloads. Yeah. Uh, got a pretty, really um, pretty
1: relevant second phase pie. Um, there was a big run, run or line break that came off the back of one of his late offloads down the left edge. So. And yeah.
2: Defensively, the opposition know that he's out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he he certainly um you know lets him know that his shoulders stick pretty hard. And unfortunately about Davey, there was a bit of news this week trending out that um Manley have poked around him and that he may be heading over to the uh, northern beaches. So if that's the case, I, that,
0: to, yep. I was gonna say yeah,
1: yeah, you have to think that Manley's made a quite a competitive offer. And you know, yeah. and well, if that's the case, very well done to him for managing to turn uh, a very you know uh, what was a I can't try to find the words for it. You know, we, we saw the articles where he was literally a week away from, you know, packing it up and going up and, and going back into the trades. And then, you know, he managed to get his break at Parramatta and he, he's turned that break into something very, very real. And that's an absolutely awesome... That's what Rugby League is about for me. So even yeah. if it's going to a bitter rival um, and, you know, maybe we'll have to boo him next year if that's the case on, on a sort of, you know, game-by-game game basis. Very cool to see Andrew Davey live in the dream.
2: Yeah, I am too. I, obviously, the last thing I want to see is him leaving the hills And I hope that news of his departure are extremely premature. Greatly exaggerated? Yeah. Greatly exaggerated. However, he's we got to have quite a few conversations with him when he first came to the club at training and I suppose find out a little bit about what it's like for someone to come from a, a, a bit of bush football to the NRL and find out what a pre-season feels like for them. And the overriding opinion I've got about the bloke is he's just a good, decent bloke. Exactly. And uh, over the last couple of years, I've been fortunate to have a few conversations with him, either at training or uh, a couple of functions. And I've not wavered from that opinion about him. And uh, as you referenced there, in the profile that was done on him when he first made his debut. And he was talking about literally having to live on the breadline, on the salary that he was on and with the reduction with COVID where he was almost at that point of returning home because he's a tradie and he can earn good money as a tradie. That to see him get the sort of contract where he's able to live the NRL dream and, if he couldn't get exactly what he wanted from Parramatta, and we don't know that that's the case just yet, but if he's if he's got it at Manly, you know what? Good luck to him, and Manly's got a a good bloke and a good player. Exactly. The case. Exactly.
1: Now um now I was gonna say we're not gonna speak about Mitchell Moses too much in this particular breakdown because we've got something coming up later in the show, um, which would be cool a cool little crossover for us to talk about. But um, quickly, your thoughts on Mitch?
2: Heading in the right direction, mm-hmm. very much. And there's the errors that were in his game. I can find I can find a reason for maybe all but one, which was the cold drop. In yeah, the where he, he crossed himself over then, in the
1: first half. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and even then, we're talking about he was he was ready to engage the line in that run. He was charging on. It was, the ball. yeah. When the shape
1: the shape was there to really press down the right edge for sure. So interesting yeah, game because yeah. both Jay Field and Mitchell uh crossing the hundred meter mark in runs. Twelve runs apiece, 131 metres for Jay and 105 metres for Mitch. Three tackle butts uh, tackle breaks apiece piece as well. So they got very I think
2: um, that's that's a really key statistic, mate. When we talk about some of the criticism that's come at our hearts and, and we're not gonna say it's unjustified. But when we're talking about the criticism that's come at the halves in the last few weeks, those the lack of a running game. Yeah, it, when it
1: starts when you get yeah you, the running no running game means you get too lateral, which means these are the box our our attack out on the sides because you know the sliding defense just catches them.
2: And with um, I think there was was there a stat in a recent week where he had like two runs for seven meters. Yes, like there,
1: there was a game where he had a, a very minimal involvement in terms of the running game. So and obviously yeah. that's also been a a function of his um uh, injured calf or calves, as it were, given his post-match interview last night. But, yeah, it was good to see both Mitch and Jay getting heavily involved with the ball in hand. Um, speaking of getting involved, um, you were at the ground, so you probably didn't catch this on Fox, but the, the coverage was actually quite critical of Mike Ocevo, who they felt wasn't getting involved enough. And now, I will preface this by saying that the Eels almost exclusively attacked down their right edge last night. They made it a, a concerted effort to go down their right and get Blake Ferguson and Wanga Blake and Brian Madison involved. So Makasivo ends up with eleven runs for hundred and two meters. Um was that enough for you? Was that you know you've been one of his chief critics on, on the podcast and, and in general, um, and not to say it's been unfair, it's been warranted. Do you, what did you like from Michael last night? He scored a really nice try for an awesome put down. Had a you know he did he get involved in kick returns. Was it enough or do you want to see more?
2: Well, I Say that I've been a reluctant critic because I like Micah. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. And, when, when I say that, yeah, and, you've been one of his biggest critics yeah. because of you know you're you're trying to be fair and even as a fan, not because you're trying to put the boot in Micah. Like you said, he's an awesome character for the game, and you're one of his biggest fans as a as a supporter.
2: Yeah. So what I the way I regard last night's game from Micah is fairly similar to how I regarded last night's game with Mitch Moses. Trend, it was trending in the, the right, right way. direction. Yeah, yeah, Maybe that's fair. course, he did... My greatest criticism that I've had of Micah in the last couple of weeks has been bringing the ball back yeah. in the tough yard. That's so right. And
1: there there was an element of physicality pounds. to his kick returns and his always set runs. That's been lacking recently. So that was good to see. And it was probably unlucky not to so pick up a go, penalty or a six go, again.
2: Yep, so we go and we put in that winger's KPI, we put a tick next to him for his carries from the backfield. And we I suppose
1: a, the the one it ended up being a, a moot point because the kick chase was offside, but he did have one bad drop under the high ball, yeah. which could have led to points, but thankfully the Broncos, the entire edge was offside. It was just an absolute mess in terms of yeah, um, execution so, from them.
2: So I mostly am giving a, a, a tick for the kick diffusals. The, the put-down
1: was sensational. Mitchell oh, Moses threw a, you know, I mean didn't have much of a win to do anything else, but that was a forceful pass that uh, he sort of just grabs from his um, head, eye, eye line and then puts down in one motion. So that was really good to see that finesse back from the big man as well.
2: The harshest you Nocatsibo know, critics were basically saying the tries that he, a lot of the tries that he scored this year, Joe Bloggs could have scored because it was catch and put the ball down.
1: I mean, spoil, a spoiler. That's what happens for most wingers.
2: Yeah, it's yes, but last night was a, a special, special catch, special put down that you would want from your top NRL wingers. So he gets another tick for me there. So I would give Mike Acevo about a seven out of ten for last night's performance.
1: Yep. I mean, once again, and, you've got to put some context on the numbers, given that the Eels were so focused on attacking down their right edge and probably an effort to get Mitchell Moses fixed up. I mean, it, you know, sort of like a conscious effort. We're just going to feed Mitch the ball and get the right edge fixed up. And, you know, obviously the left edge of the victims and that whole thing. But, you know, it, it worked out pretty well for us. Um, going around- I
2: want to come back. I, I, I want to come back because we we were touching on the halves of Moses and Field mm-hmm. before but you actually omitted our other half from the game. Yeah, outside. well,
1: there was, there was like a, what is it, 122 kilo half? Yes,
2: that's the, that's the man the on the The mountain that strides. Junior Paulo, Junior Paulo,
1: Um
2: One now, of the most are,
1: talented ball players going around in the NRL, as it were, believe it or not.
2: When you are talking about the role of the halfback in straightening the attack oh. and positioning the players outside that, of that that is
1: like teaching tape what he did last night like if you're if you're jake Arthur or a young halfback in the system you know you look at what junior paulo was doing in the red zone and say geez that's how i should be taken on the line and yeah. obviously june's a little bit unique in that you know he's 122 kilos and is and way more mobile than he has any right to be but that, that that is how a halfback should be approaching the defensive line well
2: it was it was insane yeah where you were seeing him literally in the same set of six do a standard hit up, the smashing into he, the He was at first receiver three, then, three
1: times in one set, but every time it was a different look. It was, you know, uh, it was a big cutout ball. It was a set up to Ryan Madison. It was then him, you know, steaming it at the posts. And it's such a fascinating way. And I love to see it. It's something that we did against yeah. Brisbane the first time we played them. We got Junior very heavily involved as the um, even not just the first receiver, but out wide playing as like the sweeping fullback sort of role. Um, he does so many cool things, given his skill set and athleticism, and it was great to see him heavily involved off the bench um, in that new, like, whether it was a, a one-time thing or whatever, in that role that they specified for him.
2: Wait till he produces that chip kick. <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just he just feels. <laughs> it might happen this year it's going to happen at some time he's going to produce that chip and chase and everyone's just going to go wow uh, that's that's even not even suggesting that there'll come a time when he's going to take a conversion kick <laughs> which, uh, Brad, Brad Alfa says
1: he owes him one, if they, if they ever get out far enough he'll give um, Junior a shot so I mean hopefully in the finals we can end up with a score like that, it'd be nice but you know, just put that in a little black book for Junior getting a shot at goal now, speaking of the props, and these two might not be as much as a halfback as Junior, but uh, what did you think about Kane Evans and Oregon Kafusi? Because Kane obviously pushed into the starting role, um, pushed out 15 metres for 154... 15 metres, good Lord, that'd be a bad game. Off 154 attempts. No, 15 <laughs> runs for 154 metres. Um, and yep. sort of he put the offload away, although it looked like he was trying to force it at times. But considering the conditions, he didn't try and fling it out the back. Um, no tackle breaks. Uh, 23 tackles... A couple missed. Um, and then you had uh, Big Oggy, who I think had his best game in a while. 10 runs, 128 metres. Uh, he had two tackle breaks, which is always nice to see for a, a prop because he looks pretty live and fast out there. And he had, uh, I think he was a little bit better defensively than Kane. Yeah, 21 tackles, one missed. Whereas Kane had the 23, two missed and one ineffective. What did you think of the um, yeah. the other props, not named Junior Paulo or Reagan campbell uh, uh
2: So... Kane Evans, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I think it applies to him as well. Heading in the right direction. <laughs> it was Again. it was a
1: good it was a good bounce back game from a very poor night against Penrith for Kane.
2: Yeah, he did what he always needs to do when he swarms a little bit off. Whenever Kane Evans' form is a little bit off, just tucked the ball under simplify the arm. Simplify. That's it. Streamline the game. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Oggy... Like you, I've been one of his biggest fans coming through the junior ranks, and apart from the one drop that he made... There was the one drop, yes. Yeah, but I, like you, I thought he was heading to one of his best performances. His carries were very, very strong, and when he hit the line, the legs kept pumping, and he he was determined to pull through the tackles. Now... Brad Arthur's keeping Ogin's game pretty simple. He's not looking for offloads or anything like that from him. He obviously has a very distinctive role, a very simplified role, which is you carry that ball as hard as you can into the defense. And I thought he did that quite well. And I'm always very comfortable about his defense. Yes. So, yeah, he's um, yeah.
1: Quite, Given quite. his age, he's quite a resolute defender. Not to say he can't miss a tackle or two, but um, he certainly doesn't shirk his responsibilities defensively, which is always encouraging for a young ball.
2: Yeah. Now so I'm fairly fairly happy with those two individuals.
1: Uh-huh. Now I mean 26 to 12 it's a solid win. It could have been 32 to 12 which we'll get to soon, but um in terms of the good and the bad, there is always the yin and the yang. What wasn't as good for us last night?
2: We still had the moments with our attacking kicks that the, weren't the quite attacking kicking
1: game was pretty atrocious so if we're going to be honest. Um, it was pretty bad. There was a number of 20-meter restarts and um, otherwise, you know, kicks that didn't really, you know, fit the context of the game where we were at. Um, the one the one thing I... I mean, it's it's petty to say it. I didn't like the scrum play. I felt it was just the wrong time to play it. I think when we kicked ahead for Wunger Blake, I think the idea and execution is really cool for a close game. I think that was the sort of game where I wanted our team to just keep possession, keep working way running away, getting our attacking shapes better. So that that sort of stuck out to me as like oh, really
2: yeah it was it was interesting at the at the game when it happened I didn't mind the play and it it's was it, it's but it a, it was it's a perfectly fine attacking
1: there. concept and I'm, I hope we don't shy away from it at the right time it just felt for me that the priority should be possession and, and getting our attacking shapes and show in sort of in order yeah
2: it was it was probably I wonder whether it was almost a tip to the future of... We've got a few other tricks up our sleeve. Yeah, there's the no doubt
1: the Eels haven't fired all their trick plays and, and cool little set pieces into the regulation season, so that's definitely one to monitor. Um, the other thing, the other moment that really stuck out to me is like, are, are you serious, was the Ethan Bullimore run where he got you know off the kickoff, got in front of the post and was left eyes-eyed um, up on Reed Martin and just steamrolled him for a 40 or 50-metre gain. And that was... um. Yeah, a bit disconcerting. It was kind of like we just switched off for one set and let the Broncos go 70, 80 metres.
2: I think... I I looked at that a couple of times over. I think that uh, Sean Lane missed his um, assignment. His his assignment, yeah. That one, yeah. From from recollection, he was the one that was chasing through closest, Mm -hmm. and Bullimore just got a little bit outside of him and he just ran past and all of a sudden we had him one on one with uh Reed Marney. And it almost no it was opposite ends of the field, opposite circumstances. But the same applies to David Fida isolating. That that Charlie. was where I was
1: going to go next is what were your thoughts in that situation? Because the the commentary were very critical of Wonga Blake, who sort of made yep. it a half jam um, but technically, he'd made the correct read, I think. Um, and I don't know where the grading is going to be internally for him, but that, w- in terms of Wonga's defense, that was not a terrible read. Um, but
2: it left I just me- think, yeah, maybe my first thoughts last night was I don't know whether we numbered up on that side as no, well. No,
1: well. we were short for sure. And that's why I think Wonga's read wasn't terrible, because it sort of took out the. Unless they rifled a cutout pass it took out that option, which is sort of what you meant to do when you're jamming like that. But obviously it left Mitch posted up against one of the most, you know, explosive back rollers in the competition. And Mitch probably went a little bit too high and didn't give his um, cover defenders a chance to help wrap up. And, you know, in the end, it's David Fafita who is just an absolute bull. Like, he, you give him those sort of looks and he's going to score more often than he doesn't. Well,
2: I'll put I'll put my money on David Fafita Ten meters out against an isolated halfback, yeah, is probably going to score ninety nine times out of hundred. And I
1: know who the one out of hundred I'd be backing is this, and he wasn't playing unfortunately last night. Yeah. so that's young, right. young deal, of course. Um, yes. The other moment now that I think about it, that stuck out to me was the uh, Herbie Finworth try, and I missed it initially on the uh, the the game tape, uh, the the live coverage, because I was kind of like, "Where's Gufferson?" Like the right edge actually played that fairly well. They were up, up and in, had taken out of so like number of the passing lanes away from the Broncos, so they naturally put the kick in behind. Fergo tries to turn around, but obviously as the the defensive winger, it's harder to get round against the opposite or even the centre in this case. And yeah, the Broncos just score easily. And uh, on the replay, it turns out I don't know what had happened, but Gufferson had completely misread the flow of the game. He'd gone to yeah. our he'd gone to our left edge, and he was actually on the other side of the posts. And of course, he gets on his bike and tries to get across, but he's just given up too much ground. So I don't really know what happened there. And obviously, the, the club would have a better idea when they look at their game tape. But that was just yeah, a bit of a breakdown from a otherwise very polished performance from Guffo.
2: I think that's, a, that, that's symptomatic of how virtually every fullback, I'm going to say every fullback actually, plays in the modern defensive game on the line where, they are part of the line, and then they either break one way or another behind the line as, as quick as they can. They're basically getting on their bike and hearing one way or another, depending which way the ball goes. But they are there in that line, making tackles in the line, and that's the price that you pay where you have a fullback depending them in the line, oftentimes in the line within the 20, let alone on the try line. Mm. So... I think that's paying the price for it. And, and I think it's a play that could prove successful against many teams. You have a look for where you've isolated the fullback, where the fullback is in the defence on the line, and that kick comes into play. Of course, the, it comes down to that execution of the kick has to be
0: stopped. that That's right. And,
2: and when you've got a couple of bigger outside backs in Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson, their turning circles aren't great. So if you've got them coming forward and you're getting that line, that ball in behind the line, and the, your chasers know that you're putting that kick on, you've got uh, you've got yourself in a good position to potentially score. Correct. Now that we've just been on that path made of of things that we didn't like. Can we talk about the incident of Junior being put on report? The hip, because that tackle. I am just, I am as stunned today as I was last night.
1: Yeah, that that was a case of I was watching the game and I was like, I mean, I, I was upset, I, I, upset in the sense that you know David Ofoeda back from injury for a few weeks has another serious injury and it's unfortunate because he's a sensational talent and you know you hate to see anyone get hurt, let alone a player like that who's you know one of the most exciting talents in the game, but that the quintessential football injury. That's, you know, you got, you're got you playing a, one of the most dev, devastating contact sports in the game. You've got Freeman wrapping him up. Junior Paul makes a conventional hips tackle with one that you're sort of trying to encourage to get wrestled out of the game. And the natural course tackle sort of you know, slides down his quads and then the tackle falls back over by the, you know, just the course of the motion. And then I was like, yeah, that's awful. He's injured and I hate to see it. But it's, you know, give the ball someone else play on once he's off the field. And then, you know, I think it was Ham who was on the Discord saying, that's going to be a penalty. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because obviously we're live chatting. And he said, no, they've caught out Junior, and the, co- the coverage hadn't shown at that point. I'm like, are you kidding me? And yeah, and then on report because of a duty of care. Like,
2: Oh, that comes, that falls into the same category as when Kane Evans was sinned in last year. For to tackled too hard, tackle. yeah. yeah.
1: That, that, I mean, like I said, I hate to see Dave Huffita injured because he is a sensational talent, but that's just terrible. I mean, and the thing is, it was a bunker review. So I, I do not understand, and we'll we'll talk about the bunker more in just a second because this whole this whole round, three games in, we got a lot of bunker talk about. Uh, but yeah,
2: Brad office. Thankfully, thankfully, I was just going to say, thankfully, most of the media that was covering the broadcast, most most of the pundits there, were saying, well, well like oh no, like seriously, with, yeah, with like the, it, that, he's making
1: the, conventional tackle. And
2: yeah, I don't think Cooper Cronk was as effusive in his defense of, of Gene Nicolo and his comments. He, he sort of was, you know, we'd have to uh, make sure the players aren't the, he was The, or, the that irony
1: sort of, of a, one of the most storied Melbourne Storm players of all time showing concern about wrestling tactics when he's in um, commentary is not lost on me. So yeah. I, I don't mind yeah. Cooper, but um, that, that sort of comes from probably the wrong wrong spot.
2: The, the other thing too was that the previous night had seen one of the most uh, forceful tackles that you'd ever seen where the contact ended up on the head of um, Lewis and he got smashed into the ground and there were commentators who were their first reaction was jumping in saying, you're kidding. How is he on report for that? And and yet, it was it was more of a slow burn of, of now. I don't know whether they are a bit incredulous that Junior was put on report, but I don't think the, the, there's there's different degrees me. of
1: outrage. And obviously, if you if you go back and watch the Jaden Sewer hit, because I was initially like, "Are they really going to bid him for that?" But um, if you watch the super slow mo, it goes off the shoulder into the head for Jaden Sewer. Yeah. So he actually is going to face probably a serious charge. I'm not sure if the rap sheet's out for him yet, but. Yeah. Whereas with Junior, it was just literally around the hips, and he, he slides down a natural course for tackle, just a, a degree. And then Junior being 122 kilos, as I alluded to earlier, when we we're talking about his playmaking abilities, you know, if any player of any weight falls on your ankles in the course of the tackle like that, it's going to be you know potentially dangerous, just as a football injury. But obviously, Junior well, brings a few extra kilos there. That is an that is the the inherent risk, the intrinsic risk of playing a contact sport like football. There was no malice in what, that.
2: It's what happens all these players that have had ankle or, or knee injuries, or a lot of them... So should, should is... the
1: South player have been sin-binned for Dylan Brown because they dropped down yeah. on his ankle? Or in this very game itself, when Quentin Guffson got up feeling dusty because someone had gone on his hips and then wrapped around and done a bit of an ankle twist, should they have been sin-binned? Like, th- that's yeah. what I don't understand of these stupid sort of... And I won't say they're precedents because they're not precedents because they never follow the precedent set by the decision. It just blows my mind. And um, yeah, I suppose yeah. blowing our mind and talking about officials is a nice little tie into our next segment, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're talking about the dream team. We're talking about Henny Penny, Henry per- per- Perinara, and Ashley Klein, who um, managed to call the South Sydney Canterbury game on Friday in the inverse. So if Klein in the box seat and Henry in the uh, video assistant role. And obviously last night, Henry was calling our game as the main official of Ashley Klein in the box. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's talk about the dream team. <laughs>
2: um, for for so many years, they have been my cringe reaction referees when I look at appointments. Even
1: as a neutral, and when, you're, when you see like a, a certain game's been officiated by him, it's just like, oh man, this game could just turn on the back of like it, it, one or two really bad calls, couldn't it?
2: Yeah, and let's be let's be clear here. We're not we're not suggesting bias or no. any anything like that. Do at not all. mistake for
1: malice that which can be adequately explained by incompetence. Which is also a hard thing because look, uh, we've we've said on the podcast before, officiating the NRL is probably the hardest officiating gig in sport or thereabouts. No other sport or code is as fast as the NRL is, and is demanding on its officials to make it split second calls on very technical things in terms of ruck, forward passes, and offside. Uh, as any any other code so yes this the degree of difficulty is huge but what we saw last night it was embarrassing
2: it, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest and it probably explains that when you've got a match that's seeing one team in the 8 playing the team that's at the bottom of the table you know what referees are going to be appointed
1: yeah, in terms of the like pri- the priority,
2: exactly. For yeah, yeah. Even though so, it was the, the
1: prime time game, the implications that the draw was fixed up a long time before the the officiating appointments, so they can fix that yeah. and give the more important games the more higher profile officials.
2: Yeah, so we we give officials their recognition that they're they're hardworking, that they to train hard, they they are athletes in their own right. It's a tough gig to be a rugby league official. But for a long time, we've said that both of these fellows make far too many errors in their calls to be considered at the top of the ranks. And last night, there were a number of incidents which really demonstrated why, or validated our opinion on that. And I think you've got Klein, who... Uh, obviously tipped for the junior Paulo.
1: The hip drop tackle, of course.
2: Yes, where it was Klein who put the suggested to Henry paranara that the tackle be put on report. It was dumbfounding when it happened. It's just as dumbfounding today. I don't know whether any news has come out yet as to whether the match review committee has said that he's got a case to answer it's usually 11 or 12 out.
1: o'clock if I'm not mistaken so we'll have to wait a yeah. little bit because we're recording <clears throat> sort of in the vicinity of 9am for those that are interested
2: yes yes so it wasn't the best performance the- was
1: it if I'm not mistaken was it leaked this week that the bunker has been influencing live decisions as well
2: <sighs> nothing surprises me I, I, I'm,
1: I'm, 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 I only caught the back end of the conversation on the TV and I'm fairly certain I heard that they've been tipping decisions which I wouldn't be against in terms of an official directive, but if that's the case, it's, it would be actually opposed to what the actual the, the jurisdiction of the Bunker would be. Anyway, the headline miscall obviously is Blake Ferguson being robbed of his second try of the night. Um, Paranara, the the entire weekend so far, and we're talking three games in dogs, uh, dogs and um, rabbits on Thursday night, and then obviously our game, and then the Cowboys and the Penrith Panthers prior to about six pm. Each one of those games, the main officials have just shown a, pre- shown a, a bizarre predilection to ignoring the bunker. And we're talking about years of the bunker being gone to, whether it's, you know, you, you sort of meme about KFC ads and whatnot, for any sort of remotely um, dubious try, or even like an obvious try they go to the bunker. And then yet, across the course of this week, they've made an effort. Not only have they kicked the ex-players out of the bunker, but they're trying to not go to the bunker. And so we saw in the South Sydney Dogs game, that Jackson Paulo scored a try where his foot was obviously out. And in the Cowboys game, they would have had a try taken away from them because the, the call was made live instead of going up to the bunker for a tap-back score by uh, the, the winger hammer, uh, the guy uh, uh, for, for the, oh my God, BS, yes, uh, Amizo, sorry. And then you saw in our game where bizarrely Perinara calls, uh, and I don't know if he caught a forward pass initially and then walked back into a knock-on This is what really confuses me is because he's now set a precedent where, and this is what the commentators are going on about, a tip on is now a a knockback or a knock forward rather than a a forward pass or a a legal pass. And he calls it. I
2: have have what I saw at the game last night, and I didn't pay any attention to. I I watched a bit of a replay this morning. I couldn't. I, I didn't actually look at that incident with Henry calling it. But at the game last night, I am ninety five percent sure that his signal was forward pass. He made that motion with the arm as if it's you know, the ball has gone forward. Yes, because it not, not a, knock it on it a forward
1: pass a there's on. like a there's like a wavy push and then like a tip forwards for the knock on. So uh,
2: and, and in fact around me people were saying challenge, challenge. Mm. And I and my immediate response was they can't, you can't challenge it. You can't the because it's a
1: forward pass, yeah.
2: That's right, and then all of a sudden they're going to the challenge, and my first thought was, well, the only way they can challenge that now is if his call was a knock-on, but I'm sure he didn't call a knock-on. And yet then all the dialogue became about the knock-on. That's
1: right, and obviously when you see the replay, Gullford has tipped it backwards. There is no doubt that he yes. tips it backwards. It goes perfectly yes. on um, in you know, a one fluid motion right into the hands of Ferguson beautifully, like just as you draw up a training. And unfortunately, yep. because the call was made light, like before the ball was dead, and even though there was no chance of the Broncos stopping Ferguson, um, the, the play has to come back midfield for a play of the ball. And yep. and I, I'll go so far as to say that one of the few Eels 6 against that game that came that set was a makeup call because I don't think the Broncos did anything wrong on oh, that ruck.
2: No, no that six-again call, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're like many other games, we're coming out of it and we're a little bit confused. It's like the Six Again call, which...
1: Um, we, we, we've spoken curious. about it. Uh, theoretically, very cool, very, you know, makes a lot of sense. Just in practice, is not being policed correctly. So, yes. it is what it is. Now,
2: so, to wrap up the match, mate, very quickly, your three to one.
1: This is a tough one this week. Um, oof. I think... Goodness. I mean, we didn't mention him at all, but I liked what Ryan Madison did. Um, He played very physical, had a really nice kick or two that managed to, one had a freak bounce in the first half, but he managed to get a few line dropouts for us, which is always very cool from the back row. Um, I think what Junior did off the bench was important for me. So I'm going to give him my three. I'm going to go with the the big dog Junior. Um, After that though, it's tough. It's tough. Um,
2: Let me jump in here. I'm going to go three for Guffo. because I think, his two-try performance, and apart from maybe being out of position with that try to the Broncos, it was a fairly strong performance all around. And you know me, mate, I'm, I tend to more look at the forwards normally when I'm Yeah, Yeah, give, give credit to
1: the big right men. That's where I was going to go, because my two was probably going to be Gufferson, so that sort of is a nice little flip over from what you had. So who's your well, two-on-one?
2: we've two just... On one? We just flipped it then because my two is junior. And then, so what we're getting at now is the one.
1: And I've got to give it to the the gun, the Big O, the uh, the state of Oregon. So,
2: okay, I'm going with Andy Davey for my one. Yeah, I like
1: that. I like that.
2: I think that's. I think a, he did. A, I think he, think he did enough to feature yeah, this. So. I think. I
1: think that's a very fair call. So yeah, Andrew Davey and Oregon University running out our three two one points. So very good. And, um, yeah, probably a nice way to put the wraps on. I'll put an inverted uh, sort of open parentheses, 32, close parentheses, 26-12. Uh, so, Eels, 26-12 winners. Uh, temporarily, provisionally puts them into third place. And the Roosters actually play the Sharks and the the Bunnies. So, the for all the talk about us, you know, being fourth or maybe fifth at the end of the season, all of a sudden, I don't think it's as written in stone as, as we sort of expected. So, that's definitely something to monitor. Across the next round and a half, given that we're halfway through round nineteen, of course.
2: But yeah, and, and um, we've also got uh, the Raiders to have to play the Sharks as well, don't they?
1: Yes. So, so the, there is a lot. So. There is a lot of um sort of water going to go that bridge in terms of where the Eels will finish up as third, fourth, or fifth. So yeah, a lot of um. I suppose it gives you a, a reason to watch the other games this week and and next week. Yep. But yeah, that's a put the ribbon on round nineteen, and like I said, Eels improve their record to fourteen and five, which in you know. And most seasons would be considered a, a tremendous success, but um, on the back of some of the struggles and you know a bit of the media narrative, it's been uh, more of a five and fourteen season. It feels like in recent weeks, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, here we are. Now sixties, we've got something a little bit special this week, haven't we?
2: Uh, yes, we have. We've got one of our TCT contributors who has a background in an Eagles junior development squad when he was younger. He went on to work with the Parramatta Reels, and of more recent times, he's, as I said, he's been a contributor to our site. So let's welcome Clint G to the tip sheet. Yeah,
1: very um, okay. professional round of applause as we welcome Clint. <laughs>
2: Thank we going? you, gentlemen. How are we? Yeah, very good, mate. The tip
1: sheet? Yeah, obviously coming good off the win trip. last night, always good. Um, now, speaking of that win up against the Brisbane Broncos... What's the first point of order you've got for us today?
2: Yeah, look, I wanted to touch on something that it seems to be the eye of a lot of the old fans at the moment and uh some media pundits as well. And that's our attack. Uh and playing direct football to be more specific. Now, whether it's on the screens or in the stands, everyone seems to be talking about our attack at the moment, or supposedly the lack thereof. And uh I must preface this discussion with a bit of a caveat. It feels like at times there's some unfair expectation placed on what we should and shouldn't be doing at any given time, and that is both overtly and inadvertently projected onto our squad and becomes somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy when it comes to how we should or shouldn't be playing. Mm -hmm. The genesis is usually one of the media or the fan base, and that energy, whether positive or negative, sits and resonates with our players. It's why, in my opinion at least, for many years, and for better or worse, we've seen that I guess would you probably call it streaky team that we we have been over the course probably probably further back to um previous to Brad Arthur's reign and it seems at the moment the focal point of this so-called energy is our kind of attacking game. So over the course of the last two months, I think it's fair to suggest, and gentlemen, I'm sure you probably agree with me, like most fans, our attack hasn't been optimal. But generally speaking, when you defend as well as we have over the period of this time, it doesn't need to be either. It needs to be just good enough. Which it largely has been based on our current win kind boss of record. But what is important, whether you're scoring points or not, is the shape that you maintain. Being able to shift from your structures to paying what's in front of you and striking a right balance between the two. Now what has been an area of concern to the typical fan is that this has been non evident over this period of time. But can I've I just can things. I just ask sorry, Clint, just for uh, interrupting your, your flow just there. No, you're I right. just want to throw I just wanna throw a question to you, just for our listeners when you were... Talking about that, are you are you talking about shifting between uh, structured and unstructured play? Is that what you're yes, getting at there? Correct. Right. So I think yeah, like you, I think you guys even touched on one the previous tip sheet that, that that you did or, or one previous about um, the roosters game mm. where were able to do that very well. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a callback to that point that you guys were making, but on top of that as well, it's just um, it's just something that we've obviously largely deviated away from. And it's, it's interesting that you say that too, if I can just throw in here, because having watched them train around this, mm. it is, it is something that was a fundamental. I'm sure it's a fundamental with all teams, but mm. that I've heard them talking about their shift between structured and unstructured play. Mm. So it's, it's obviously a core element for rugby league teams. And you're 100%. identifying it as an area that has has been where the problem has has come from, is that right? It is part of the problem. I wouldn't say it's exclusively or um singly of that problem, but it is a part of the problem because um and, 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 that, and I I was sort of using that as a leading statement to go in, we actually did some of that last night and did it well. In certain patches of the game. Um Albeit they were small patches, because there was also largely some of the stuff that we also saw over the preceding two months at play as well. So, um so just going kind to of strike the balance between, you know, creating more of those moments and less of the um, less of the others where you know, we're seeing Mitchell play a lot of overs lines as opposed to straightening up the attack.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, both in defence and in this case, offence, the responsibility falls across the 17 players that are there on game day, but. The one player that you're going to probably focus on here is the one with the number seven on his back, and that's Mitchell Moses.
2: Yeah, you know that, that, that's that, that's absolutely spot on. Forties, um, and look, there were some signs last night that things are improving, albeit slowly. But sometimes you just need those things to happen over the course of a couple of games because they predicate a game where everything just suddenly clicks and all of a sudden you're in form. I mean, we, we saw this as recently as a month ago with South Sydney. They weren't in the best of form leading into a, I think it was a game against Manly, which preceded the game. Yeah, against Yeah. And they, then they just got and hot they,
1: because the things lined up. And
2: everything quits, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it was, it, was, it was almost like the perfect storm for us because we were at, at that particular point in time, just trotting along. and, and It'll be seen whether that's the wake up call that we needed at that point in time or not. But, um, yeah, we, 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 we saw them come out and just absolutely obliterate us with some, with some fantastic direct half play. And and when we think of paramedic teams over the past, you know, probably two or three years, particularly under Brad Arthur's reign, when we've been in our best form, attacking them wise, is when we've been playing that type of football, really straightening up the play from both dummy half and through our halves, whether that's Mitch Moses, Dylan Brown, and previously him, Corey Norman. But, um, you know, one of the most important things for for a playmaker, half will go, and I'm going to throw a into this because Let's face it, and with the game that he played last night as well, let alone the course of this season, Quint Gustafson is very much a playmaker for us. Yeah, he well, full,
1: fullbacks have become increasingly important for every team, but especially for our attacking structures, we rely heavily on Quinton and both edges, for sure.
2: Absolutely. You know, and, and uh, I, I, I just want to preface as well, for those who don't necessarily know exactly what it means when we use the term direct, we refer to the straightening of the attack. I alluded to that before uh, to engage the opposition's defensive line before laying on a play. Now that can be done through a pass, but it can also be done through the the, the half or, or or the hook or, or the fullback mm-hmm. in this instance as well, running as well. E- even the even the kick in behind the line. We refer to that as playing direct because it's imperative to breaking down an opposition's defensive line. And the reason you want to play naked to do this because it's not not only engages the opposition's defenders but it creates space for those outside runners as well. And and even at times, depending on the way that you're breaking down the set and the play, and if you're choosing to play through the middle, into the inside uh, runners as well. Now, yeah, it gives you it's variety. A real skill to do this
1: exactly. And exactly that's, right. that's why you hear Andrew Johns and Brad Fittler talking about Dylan Brown digging to the line so much, and why they love him for that aspect of his game, because he can play very direct for a young guy where they're they're very prone to tending to tending to crab sideways. Um, so with Mitchell, I was just going to cool. say with Mitchell, it felt like last night the team was a reflection of his performance which shouldn't be surprising given that he's the primary ball handler outside of Reed Marnie, who's passing the ball from the base of the ruck, obviously. But Mm. um, first quarter of play, it was a little bit scratchy. Um, I think there was one play in particular where Mitch was guilty of trying to go for it all, like he did back in the day with that big cutout pass to Blake Ferguson that ended up being a bit of a Mm. Benji Marshall ball. But then as he sort of started to straighten up, started to dig into the line and and plant that right foot and really challenge the Broncos down their left edge with the ball in hand primarily before then looking to go sideways – I felt like the team started to align with that sort of intent that he had in his game.
2: Yeah, you, you couldn't be more spot on 40 because, and and, and, and that first half was very much a, a half of two halves. First mm. well, 20 minutes, as you, as you just referenced, you know, we are we're kind of feeling our way into the game a little bit and you know, there, there was that uh, propensity, I guess, to, to, to crap across uh, field as, as we've seen over the last couple of months from Mitch's return from that calf injury. But he gained, he, he, he went into the second half of that first half with more confidence because he was, he was taking the line on in that first 20. And I think that is a very, very important point to note when it comes to not just, I guess, our performance last night, but for our performances moving ahead attacking wise, because let's acknowledge it was a far from perfect performance from Mitch last night. But to me, it's always a really good sign when your half is prepared to run and engage the line. And I think for us, Mitch, is that he's most dangerous when he's doing that with bodies and motion around him. Now, this is obviously a hard thing for him to do because he's managing a calf injury week to week. We know that it's not 100%. But last night was the first time in a while since we can be really encouraged by his involvement. And now it's about getting his timing right with, uh, with, with that involvement back and, and thinking, thinking with his inside and outside players, straightening up more regularly. Um and I've noticed at times, even over the past couple of weeks, when we've done this is when we've created space and we and, and we scored. And most people will revel in in, in Clint Gus and performance last and, night. And, and let's not take anything away from Clint. He was fantastic. He was really, really good last night. Best on ground for us, I think. You know, and, and, and you know, just a, a quick nod and shout out to Andrew Davy, who I thought was um he, he looked really, really um really punishing in both in, on both sides of the ball. But you know, there, there were also times last night where Mitch tried to force the issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, whether that was Mitch playing more laterally himself or doing this through his outside run, it, it, that was just when our attack broke down. But, you know, we saw signs of this in the first 30 minutes against the, um, against the Warriors as well. Um, and I think it's, you know, we, we, we get to put that together for, for, for a full 80 since Mitch has returned. But, uh, as I said before sometimes you just need those moments across a couple of games before it just it quicks yeah because absolutely it's, it's very absolutely very much a muscle memory element to, yeah. to, to this play
1: and absolutely when, when you can see how many reps they'll do between training and playing in the hundreds and thousands of times they'll they'll run a certain play or or look at a different concept like you said it just needs that one or two moments across the course for a week or two to spark you know a full run back the form and in an encouraging I sign.
2: This, can I just come in because I, I find this I found this interesting because Clint's take on this is the complete opposite on a couple of the pundits on the Fox summation after the game with their panel of experts. And I'm trying to think whether, whether it was Brandy or whether it was uh, McInnes or someone said, might have even been Cooper Cronk, whoever it was, said that they felt that Mitch Moses had taken a couple of steps back. In last night's game, he had regressed to Mitch Moses of a couple of years ago, purely, mostly because of the errors that they referenced during the game. Now, there, I mean, there was that, one,
1: there was one bad drop early on in that first twenty that we, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about where he was a bit sloppy, where he sort of crossed himself up. He, um, he yep. definitely dropped the ball cold in the red zone. But yeah, it is interesting to see the pundits. In, I take the the opposite side here because it felt like even if it wasn't perfect, the most encouraging performance he's had in months.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was looking at the game and I was thinking, okay, there were some sloppy moments, a couple of kicks that didn't find their mark that were just way too deep. But even then on those, there was some service issues. The yes, yeah, was being exactly. Given where he was literally catching the ball behind him and then trying to quickly fashion a kick. There,
1: there was one kick he ended up hoofing, hoofing dead where... Uh, was it Blake Ferguson? I'm trying to yeah, think who yeah. was it? it was. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. that that play was dead in water. <laughs> as soon as he hit the water, Fergo just didn't didn't fire off a ball by any means. It was a very bad dummy half ball, yeah. and Mitch yeah, rushed so the kick. I,
2: I looked at circumstances in the game, and also the fact that it was a we, weather,
1: torrent almost torrentially at time. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I thought that was a fairly harsh call about Mitch Moses. He certainly wasn't Mitch Moses from earlier this season, but it was Mitch Moses who was, to me, heading back towards more what we want to see from him.
1: And in an encouraging note post-game, I believe he said in an interview, I'm not sure on which channel, whether it was Fox 9 or or radio, that it was the first time he felt sort of trust in his calf and that it wasn't just the one calf that had been troubling him across the last few months. It was on um, both his legs. So it was every that's time. Not
2: surprising. That's not surprising that it's both, both, both calves for That That's
1: natural when it's... It, people, I mean, fortunately, I haven't had the... the favour one. Yeah, I haven't had the, the, you know, the bad grace of a, a serious knee injury, but one of the biggest uh, issues of a, a knee reconstruction on one knee is that the body overcompensates on the other side and ends up damaging, damaging the other side. And that's probably the case of Mitch here, where he starts favouring the other leg too much and it puts pressure on it.
2: So... Yeah, I mean... little things that can throw you out of sync as Absolutely. Well, you know? absolutely. When we're, you think we're, about... We're talking the top grade of football. That's right, where every every little everything.
1: percentile of performance and, and ability makes a huge difference. And then when you have that much out of sync and out of kilter, like you said, it, it makes a huge difference, especially when you're up against some Monumental. of the monsters.
2: Monumental difference. And, that, and, that, and that's that's why we take a lot of solace, and I think I think three of us here talking now take a lot of solace out of his involvement because... If if you're still working your way in and struggling with those types of injuries, your involvement is going to be low. But he, you know, and like we said, he was far from perfect. We're not saying that he had a great game, but there were just little signs there, and the fact that he was willing to get involved—that's normally one of the first or one of the first steps, I'd say, to to, to, to getting back to that type of form. You know, And, and as I said, you know, you have those little moments in games, you have those little wins, and then the muscle memory kicks in. Now, the big question for us is whether this will happen in the time frame that we need it to happen in. Well, speaking, whether, that, speaking that on that note, take
1: place. Uh, we'll, we'll probably start wrapping things up here because um, as much as we value your time, I'm sure you've got plenty to do on the weekend. But, uh, but <laughs> speaking, speaking on that note, what are some quick hitters for what you want to see from Mitch and from the team heading into round 20 and then the finals on offense, obviously?
2: Look, it, it, it's just that straightening up of the attack. You know, we we, we we saw in the last 20 of the first half what what type of football team we can be because when we strengthens the attack, it strengthens it for everyone else. You know, we created that opportunity for Reed Marnie to, to take that data out from the half because the, the A and B defenders were scoring up on Mitch. Mm-hmm. And, then the, and then you have the markers travelling across um, looking for that as well. I and mean, then. Suddenly, Reid is, is after after a couple of uh, meters of go forward um, is, is, is finding some space as well. Then those spaces are up for Gutherson, and 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 we're able to utilise his uh, his passing game. So, I, I just want to I want to see continued efforts of, of of what he did in that in that back twenty of the first half, and yeah. um and 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 after that point, just 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 to get his kicking game right, the long long kicking game. He's you know, we, we play for territory in, in, in our team, you know. And I know a lot of people get upset about, the, about our cheating there, but that's what I believe in the modern game, we play for territory. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely look for him to also properly shell some of those, um, those bombs inside the 20 as well. It's, it, we, we, it feels like we've been on a road to nothing with that there. But, but when you throw those balls in behind the line, you know, it, it, it it's, it's, at the very least, we're handing the ball over 10, 10 to 15 meters out. Agreed. Position. Agreed. So that's what I look for from Mitch and in, 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 in uh, not only round 20, but going to the finals because we can't afford to give away.
1: Exactly. It's, it, it's such a huge territorial swing, isn't it? So uh, yeah, good, really good stuff there, Quint. Thanks for coming on, mate. And uh, we'll be touch with you next week, I believe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you as always. A pleasure to share your company.
1: It has been an absolute pleasure and an honor, mate. Keep well.
2: Cheers, guys. Take care, Jen.
1: All right, rapid fire time now. We're in the, um, the championship minutes. Let's hit the training report up, mate. What's the, uh, the good stuff, the bad stuff, all the goss from what you've seen at training?
2: Mate, what I wanted to touch on today is that things just don't happen in games. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So this week at training, there were a couple of things that I saw that were a, a pointer towards what happened in the game. We obviously saw the different starters that were put in there. There was a lot of work that was done around uh, Junior and how he was going to play in that sort of role that he ended up playing last night. And also the skills work with Ryan Madison with the kicking game. Which Which paid off
1: magnificently in the actual game against the Moroccos,
2: didn't it? Yeah. So he spent dedicated time working on his kicking game and the immediate thought was, we're going to see a little bit of the King game from Ryan Madison this week. And as it turned out, that was a big part of forcing the six against in the uh, in the match. So it, training, as I said, it's what you're seeing in a game is it, it comes from the hard work that's done at training. Yeah, and so it, it's that's, important that's, to
1: realize that. The, the 80 minutes of football that we see every week is the distillation of in terms of the players sort of you know 30 to 40 hours a week of work and in terms of the coaches 80 plus hours you know players yeah. uh, players people like Brad Arthur they don't they don't go to sleep after the game on Friday night they go and do their review tape and then from the review tape they start playing for next week and then during the course yeah. of that they're talking about individual matchups team matchups looking for patterns they can exploit looking at patterns in their own team that they can shore up so yeah what, what we see as fans for good or, for better or worse for good or bad that 80 minutes is a microcosm of all the work that goes in at training and and in and out of and, off, and on, oh, in and out on and off the field you know physically and mentally so it is easy to lose track of is not it isn't it
2: it is and one of the things that I've learnt over the years is that it's probably more insightful when I'm watching training to watch some of the little things that go on rather than sometimes the bigger picture because I've seen some of the best cool. Sorry,
1: that's my Windows.
2: Some of my some of the best sessions that I've seen have preceded an awful performance. I was actually going to raise that point: so is that
1: good. sometimes you get the poison out during the week, don't you? You have
2: yeah, and some of some of the sessions that aren't so good will actually proceed like really a really good solid good performance. Yeah. performance, yeah, yeah. And on the flip yeah.
1: side, you have you have sessions that you've attended where the eels have been imperious, like you know we're talking every cutout passes a bolt on the chest. You know, running at you know the speed of light, they look like they're untouchable, and then it doesn't translate the game day because that's the that's sport, that is the the manic I nature.
2: You. I can tell you that some of Parramatta's worst performances have preceded faultless sessions where every pass hits the mark, every player is hitting the gap. They're everything tearing into each looks,
1: other defensively, like just everything is yeah. clicking.
2: You come away and you go, they are, they are on this week, and then you get to a game and not <laughs> but of course there are those times where they train like that and they perform like that and so it, it it's it's, I, it's it's very I, hard
1: for fans to put themselves in those shoes because you think about your you know 9 to 5 and you know you sort of like yeah I just get my work done every day and yeah. and that is true and, but you got to think that these players their 9 to 5 is obviously training diet and all that sort of stuff you know tactics when it comes to training and all those things but then you think about at work when you have a shitty day with like just one bad hour, you got one bad customer, and that puts you off, and like maybe you're not you know not as committed as you would you would be. That's the same thing for the players, isn't it? Because it doesn't excuse them having a bad game, but they've only got eighty minutes to get it right, and you know a That's lot it. a lot can go onto that window to make it good or bad.
2: Yeah, yeah. So what I've started to do, I've started to look at some of the little things that are that are being done that they're working on, whether it be little plays or. Extra skill work that's going into a certain player for different things that I take from training because it's they they work hard they train hard that's that's a that's a given. You don't end up in and, the top
1: four like we did without putting in the effort. That's right.
2: Yeah, yeah. So and obviously we saw uh, a cool
1: that, little success story this year in Ray Stone who's putting in a lot of work and the only thing that's been holding him back is the the bloody hand.
2: Yeah, and it's also. One of the reasons I think behind Sam Hughes being elevated to the mm, top 30 contract is Yeah. He's, he's worked so hard during the pre-season and during the season itself, a, a year where he's not going to get any football, but he's been rewarded a big tick next to his name for everything that he's done during the season. So the rewards come his way. They can't reward him on the field. But they'll say, mate, we've recognised what you've done. Here's your contract. So exactly. yeah, that's that's my take this week from training.
1: Too so good. All right, all right, all right. Here at the tip sheet, we've tried to mix some culture of our footy. After bringing you the latest in NRL dancing, hairstyles and drama, it's our pleasure this week to introduce the Eels' official film critic, Dolly Montage.
2: Thanks for having me. Podcasts are a new medium for me to work with, so it's very exciting. Dolly, we thought we'd do something a little bit different this week by putting you on the spot with your encyclopedic film knowledge. Now what we're going to do is we're going to give you an EEL scenario from recent times and we're going to have you match it to a famous movie title. Is that okay? If only you could see me now as I shiver with anticipation.
1: Mm, nice start, Dolly. Here's the first one. How did EEL supporters feel about facing the storm away from Bankwest Stadium?
2: Give me an easy introduction, fellas. Primal Fear. Mm-hmm. Could there be any other title? <laughs> There's no arguments for me on that one. Okay, here's the next scenario. RCG's Arrival of the Eels. How about the Big Lebowski? He's a dude. He's dudeness Duda or El Duderino, if you're not into that whole brevity thing.
1: <laughs> nice. That moe is dude territory. On the same theme, Ryan Madison returning to power. Ah,
2: you selected something for us ladies with that one. It is grades. grades, Mitch is always referring to his wife's admiration, Maddo. so it must be some like it hot. <laughs> okay. Here's a topic for me. A return match against the Riff. In honor of your feelings about the Riff 60s, I could go with... 10 things I hate about you. That that sounds good to me. Not quite, 60s, because 10 things only covers the clearies. So it has to be, there will be blood, because there will be.
1: Good enough. Now, I don't like to bring it up, but what about something for the Rabbitohs' recent tri-scoring rampage against the Eels' flanks?
2: If you must go there, then the movie title is definitely The Usual Suspects. don't need to elaborate, do I? No, unfortunately, you don't need to elaborate there. But on that note, there was another gloomy moment that came from that match, and that's Dylan Brown's injury. Uh, I could nominate a horror movie title, but how about my left foot? That's close enough to his ankle for mine.
1: Very good, Dolly. So finally, if we're going to wrap this up, what about an Eels Premiership in 2020?
2: tearjerker an action movie it depends on your perspective i know there's some supporters out there who reckon i should go with mission impossible but how about i take an optimistic road and suggest the prestige
1: well we've had the pledge and then the turn and now all the wait for us is the prestige eh sounds like a great way to wrap things up dolly thanks for joining us and here's to a prestigious moment on grand final day now, continuing with the bang-bang theme as we try and pound out the last minutes of this podcast, uh, we've got a bit of a, a sort of time limit here. <laughs> We're um, not only running overtime, but Sixties uh, has got some IRL stuff that's um, coming up in real quick. Let's take a look ahead to the, the final round. I was going to say penultimate. That would have been this week. The uh, the actual final round of the regulation season of 2020, the Panamaterials will travel, I, I use that term loosely, to the West Tigers. Benji Marshall's farewell game, mate. Eh? Uh, what are we going to look for on that one?
2: Okay. Obviously, the West Tigers are going to be as pumped as they can be, so it's not a game that you're going to take lightly. They will come at us. They'll probably come at us the same way as they did when we first played them. The thing about the Tigers is that there's a lot that goes into their opening. They are like a – I don't want to sound harsh – the poor man's version of the Melbourne Storm in how they try to play, where they come at you with bodies in motion, uh, Harry Grant's, directing play quite well around the rucks, putting out a lot of questions. But you stick with them for that first 10 minutes and maybe 15 minutes. And then after that, it all starts to fade. The ball gets dropped, they miss tackles. So it, it might be that they hang in that contest a little bit longer. And if they do so, and if they get a jump in points, it might be a tougher game than we want. From Parramatta's perspective... Team changes is Murata likely to come in?
1: That's probably the big if one, so, isn't it? Because Dylan's no chance. Yeah. He's made, yeah. he's like a long shot, week one of the finals, but probably week two. So Murata, yeah. if he comes, so, head that rib injury.
2: Yeah. Uh, does Ray Stone get a chance to come back in mm-hmm. if he's if he's set to go, or has this been a case of? What is it? They never give a sucker, an even break, or whatever the saying is, where <laughs> yeah. where the opportunity being presented to Will Smith, who I believe has actually grabbed his opportunity with both hands and has presented himself as a viable option out of dummy One
1: hundred percent. I mean, and once again, you know, coming in ice cold to this crucial part of the season, he hasn't put a foot wrong, which has been hugely no. encouraging.
2: No, so I think a lot of the questions this week are going to centre around who's fit to come back. And who gets the bench spots? And also, again, on what I'm after is that headspace of the Parramatta Eels, because depending on how results go, it's probably going to turn into being a must-win game yeah, so again the, for us. The Eels will play
1: 7:35, so prime time on Saturday, which means they will have the. Looking at the draw here, the Rabros Roosters game is on Friday. Wait, what am I telling you fibs? Yeah, the Raiders game is on Friday, and before them is the Sharks and Raiders game. So the crucial results will be ahead of them. So yes, this will be an interesting yep. game mentally, like you said, as to how they treat the either you know sudden not sudden death, but you know whether it's got later implications or not.
2: And I suppose isn't it amazing that with what happened at the start of the year that we're now talking about the final Premiership round of this season coming into the finals, and when all said and done hallelujah we're getting
1: through this thing yeah yeah managed to negotiate a, a very testing season obviously on and off the field um the eels well behaved thankfully but the COVID 19 overshadowing everything as i mentioned earlier and then the amount of injuries you know so we sort of we had a very clean campaign for the first eight or nine rounds and then it sort of just bogged down into a battle of attrition and the eels have managed to pull oh, through
2: oh, oh oh you don't want- you're not going to talk about injuries now, mate. <laughs> I'll put the mockers on
1: us, but, but they've, they've battled through some testing conditions. Some self-inflicted, yes, yes. some as a matter of attrition. So full credit to the team, full credit to the coaches. Um, yeah, let's get into it next week and and head into the finals with a bit of momentum, eh? Yes, so we've, uh, we've
2: finally got through today's pod. I, it, it's, it's, a it's a monster. It's a big digest, one. Yeah. Plenty to digest. Thank you for everyone who's stuck with us. And uh, we're onwards and upwards, mate.
1: Yeah, as always, um, be sure to dr- uh, Drievous, leave us a comment on TCT. Um, if you feel so inclined, give us a like on SoundCloud um, or on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you're listening. I um, mean, yeah, and get joining the
0: conversation. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed the win. We'll see you all next week.